Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. Today on the show, we have Toby Rubenstein. She's a fashion and marketing executive. She produces and markets runway and lifestyle events. The founder of the House of Faith and Fashion. Toby is fusing culture, art, and fashion with Torah Insights. Welcome to the show, Toby. Can we start with you telling us what role does fashion and art play in your life? The House of Faith and Fashion is really the the place where I reside. I, I believe that these two subjects, even though they seemingly are opposite of each other, are really a blend of each other. It's it's sort of like my way of balancing Ruchnius and Gashmius together in a in a productive way. Studying um, art and, and obviously being in the fashion industry for close to 40 years, I realized that fashion plays an integral part in somebody's life. And that really is, is based in the Torah. The first couturier was Hashem himself with the lessons that were given in order to dress the Kohen Gadol. There's nothing more intricate um, in detail then that particular outfit, that particular jewelry, that lace, those colors chosen, the the dye process, the pattern process, it was so intricately detailed that it it showed me in a way that, you know, there is a divine purpose for particular attire, which of course was then again, you know, held up by many different religions where attire can can actually, you know, define someone's position within a religion. So it is it's all based on Torah. That's true. I feel like I did grow up with similar explanations and interpretation and saying how Hashem was the ultimate designer and he cared so much about how the Beis HaMikdash was built and what the measurements should be and what materials should be used. Yeah. Starting from Voracious where, you know, the whole idea of attire was, you know, I guess based on shame of what, of what happened with Adam and Chava, but but attire, you know, changed their whole perspective of going from the Garden of Eden into the real world. You know, why use attire for that particular process? So fashion, in whatever form it is, has a lot of biblical saying. I mean, it's all, again, it's based on the Torah. And then you apply that into real life and you come up with the House of Faith and Fashion I would say it's, it's where I reside and it's my ministry in a way. Okay, so tell us more about the House of Faith and Fashion. What were you inspired by and what did you actually create and accomplish with it? Well, um, it started because in my former life, I was a Rebbitzin. I realized that people within my community were more interested in what I was wearing than even if I knew how to daven. So I laughed because I said, you know, they used to watch my Manolos more than they did if I knew how to do Shimona Esrei. So I, I kind of took that and went, hey, you know, how can I actually bring that and actually teach Torah on the basis of what their, their obvious interest is? So I decided to take that and build a series of conversations with famous fashion designers and talk about their faith. And 
because nobody looks at a fashion designer other than what do you do for me? What do you design for me? What's the latest that you're going to, that you're going to adorn me in uh, better than any other designer. And I spoke to them. I really spoke to their soul as their creative process. Do they believe in God? Are they spiritual beings? Do they believe their talent is based, you know, is God given, you know, where do they get their inspirations? And I got such a great reaction for being so, spiritually based with fashion designers, which, which is, is again, two opposing positions. How can it be that fashion is spiritual or spirituality has anything to do with fashion? Right now, I actually do a column every single week about this. So I try and find whatever's interesting at the moment, whether it be a, you know, the costume exhibit at the Met, which is based on all faith and fashion, which they claim is, you know, started in the Catholic Church with the Pope's outfit. And I just, you know, I think it's absolutely beautiful that they have some pageantry. But again, this is definitely taken from the Torah. To having a position of this week talking about this new artist, Eyal Azulain in Israel, who has a wonderful exhibit in, in the Haifa Museum of Art. And he talks about Facebook and Instagram and how this is kind of like the new idol worship. And we talk about, well, maybe this is the new Avodazara, the actual phone itself. If you really look, the Hashem is everywhere. But what I'm trying to tell you, instead of that song, you know, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. My focus is really on art, culture, and fashion. I find Torah in these unexpected places. And it's really taken off because every week I get such great responses from people that go, oh, I never really thought of it that way. I never looked at it that way. It's never been quite posed to me that interesting. And I always thought that these two sections were opposed to each other. We really can't be, you know, caught up in the cultural world and keep Torah. And we really, you know, within Torah, we can appreciate the arts. And through the House of Faith and Fashion, I give you that unexpected duality. Yes, absolutely. I actually attended one of your fashion shows with the Tower Group a couple of years back. And it was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that was with um, Tahar Group. When I had that company, we highlighted Israeli artists and brought them to, to New York Fashion Week to show that creativity of Israel and how important the, the fashion industry is becoming and that their fashion schools are among one of the best schools in the world. The Batsalel School in Jerusalem, which is an amazing, important art school, it's named after Batsalel. Batsalel was the one that was, you know, Hashem gave him instructions on how to build the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash so so intricately. It's just fascinating how in the desert we couldn't really farm anything. We didn't know how to get our own water, our own food. We were given everything. We couldn't do anything, but we were told to go basically into the garment industry. I think that would be like, you know, teach us how to farm so that we don't have to get the mon. Teach us how to get water so we don't have to have this water uh, from God. You know, teach us how to be more self-sufficient when it comes to things about food and nutrition and water and basic things in life. But the truth is, the first thing that, that Hashem wanted us to do was to make the Kohanim outfits, which were thousands of them. Which is so interesting that that would be, I always find that fascinating as that would be the thing that Hashem decided to teach us how to be self-sufficient in. That is very interesting. I am curious to hear more about your corporate experience with Victoria's Secret, JCPenney, Kmart, Disney. 
you've worked as a marketing executive, fashion and marketing executive with these companies. Clearly, mm -hmm. they, they have given you lots of experience, inspiration, ideas. Tell us yeah. what you've learned over the years. First, what you did for them and what you've learned. I call it back in the day, really back in the day, you know, when Victoria's Secrets was just really a catalog. And I think that, you know, they didn't really have that many stores in those days. So catalog was the most important feature. I particularly learned from them the art of visual pagination, which means when you look at a page on a catalog, which is not as relevant now as it used to be, you saw how every page and every inch of the page, it had to maximize dollars on it, which meant that if there was a particular print and you happen to have seen that print in six different garments, like you saw it in a bra and you saw it in, in leggings or a tube top, it's because that you purchased a certain amount of fabric and you had to maximize the amount and then anticipate if it's going to sell or not. So it was a whole business philosophy just on a two-page spread, which was really a, a great way of learning about how to maximize it, something in your life and taking one thing and spreading it maybe to six different things with, with the exact same philosophy. It taught you how to maximize your resources. That's what Victoria's Secret taught me. As far as the other corporations coming up with an urban hip hop men's brand for Kmart called Cheda, which was the highlight of urban wear with Fat Farm and P. Diddy and uh, Rockaware and South Pole. These were all the original urban brands and come up with a brand that competes with that, but going to mass market was a great lesson. It was almost like getting my MBA. It was very difficult to be a woman in a man's world, but things have definitely changed over the course of the years. I get to now see history in front of me. That's very true. And speaking of used to be different, give us a little background on what your upbringing was, how you transitioned into fashion. I, I, I went to Basiak of Queens my whole life for elementary school and for high school. Obviously, a very orthodox girl's yeshiva. It needs an explanation because that was not the same as what that definition is now. We laugh now when I have conversations with my girlfriends that either went to TAG, you know, that I'm still close to, or, or Basiaco. We laugh because at that time, you know, we went to co-ed camps and were not thrown out of school. The good part of our class, our, our mothers didn't cover their hair. Um, so it was, a, it was a different world at that time. And that's changed remarkably. So what happened was I went to FIT, I think, for maybe two semesters before I got married because I was encouraged to get married early and then married um, someone that was, a, that was going to law school at Michigan State University. So I went really from Beis Yaakov of Queens to East Lansing, Michigan. And, you know, the thing that I knew how to do best was go shopping. So the career didn't come from an education. It came from okay, I guess I know how to shop, so let me just go into this business. And I grew to really love it um, and just stated it and grew in it. So I wish I could say that I have like this grand college education and I learned, you know, and I went to business school and so on and so forth. But the truth is, no, I did not. So it looks like you're pretty self-taught. And I know you went into retail from there. Can you tell us about that? 
FIT, I was in East Lansing for three years. So I worked in a store called Maurice's, um, which was one of these um, very high-end specialty stores near Michigan State University. And I worked retail, um, merchandising the windows and, and the collections as they came in. So I basically kind of arranged that, you know, I arranged the store like I would arrange my closets. And, and then when I came back, I went into corporate which means I went from retail into wholesale. My first job was actually with a maternity company. I started as a receptionist, and by the time the company was sold to a bigger company, I'd worked my way up to vice president of sales. And then from there, I went to a private label company that worked with Victoria's Secrets. Um, their biggest account was, their two biggest accounts were Victoria's Secrets and Spiegel Catalog. So that's where I fell into Victoria's Secret and learned all about um, the idea of working with catalog and working with catalog slash specialty stores. And then from that, I just kept going into different areas. And I really tend to move towards arenas and companies that dealt more with merchandising with a label, like either they, they bought a label because they licensed a label or they had a celebrity connection to a label. And I I enjoyed interpreting either the brand or the celebrity slash brand into an actual collection. Wow. So clearly you have intimate experience with many of the brands and you for sure have your favorites. Could you tell me who some of your inspirations are? That always changes because the fashion because the fashion industry never remains the same. And I, I'm currently now totally enamored and intrigued with Off-White. And Virgil, the person that is the designer of Off-White and then now is the creative director of Louis Vuitton. I'm fascinated by that sort of street wear goes into couture. And of course, this, this, you know, this whole other way of marketing things. I like the fact that all these labels recognize that their customer is, is getting younger and needs to be paid attention to in the language that they understand. And that language of marketing from Instagram to all these other social media way of marketing, as opposed to what, you know, I grew up with, you know, just having a, an ad in vogue. I enjoy watching this evolution. I've come to a point where I know I no longer understand and I need to go to a person that understands and explains it to me. So I, I my go-to person is my daughter. I actually had to sit down and have a long conversation to understand the meaning of Supreme, Off-White. They're the most powerful brands in the world. As far as one single designer that I think is... Um, that I've watched their evolution and enjoyed seeing them was probably Michael Kors. How powerful he's becoming and the labels that he is actually buying by buying Versace and Jimmy Choo, that he under, he understands the power of the complete dress, of the complete woman. And I respect him for that. I love your comments. What advice would you give someone who wants to be sneeze and fashionable and affordable? Mm. Sneeze, fashionable, and affordable. This, oh, first of all, one, being sneeze has become remarkably easier because it's now fashionable to be modest. 
So in this era, it's very easy to walk into any store and find exactly what you need because what you need is not that foreign anymore. From Dolce & Gabbana to Zara, you can find something now that's completely, totally sneeze and fashionable. You could, of course, go on your sister's wonderful app and see what's going on as far as how to, how to uh, shop sample sales and get affordable designer slash modest clothing on ShopDrop. There's so many sites also that cater to modest clothing and not necessarily from Jewish women. They're also from, you know, Christian or Muslim because all the religions are now moving towards this sneeze way of life. And of course, I'm sure everybody follows their favorite influencers and Instagram stars. And, and there's so many of them in the firm community and they give you complete access as to where to shop. Those are great tips. Thanks for sharing them with us. You did mention, and I want to speak a little bit more about that, you recently uh, launched a Facebook activism live show that you post every Wednesday evening. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you have so much passion, so many powerful messages that you want to send across and impact other women, maybe men as well. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about what the show is about and what you are accomplishing with it? J Women, we just started, we just finished eight shows and we really, I thought that like five people would watch. I was like, I really didn't care in the beginning. I'm like, oh, this would be fun. Just, you know, three friends will just talk about it. Like, you know, kind of will be like the view and nobody's going to watch it. So I'm not going to really take this too seriously. And thankfully, um, Baruch Hashem, we were proven completely wrong. The premise of the show is really three women from three different backgrounds with three different, completely different stories, kind of giving chizuk to Jewish women out there of all walks of life to really say, we need a place where we feel that we could talk about anything and that we're all going to get along and everything is going to be okay. And I know that sounds like a fairy tale. We all lived happily ever after. Obviously, that's not true. But I really do believe that the unity of women, like the Rebbe says, is going to bring Mashiach. We have to be together and we have to have a powerful force together in order to fight all the outside worlds that are that are hurtling at us. The whole idea of us being able to talk to each other is really the platform of the show. Like last week, we had on this woman, Adina Miles, who was the Flatbush girl that everybody, I mean, everybody knows who she is. And she's combating not having women's faces on Jewish media. And also now this current issue of... Uh, I call it the comedian versus kosher. And we had her on and we didn't necessarily agree with her, but at least it wasn't a shouting match and it wasn't a toxic atmosphere. What was really brought out by the whole thing is that this really all started on Lashon Hara. And what happens when you talk Lashon Hara about somebody and how that could compound into something horrific and unfortunately, by reading the comments that, uh, that people have on her Instagram page, I'm just really, I'm shocked. We have to all get along because there are bigger issues to deal with out there. And if women could show an example of all getting along, it doesn't matter what your religious practices are, that if we all respect each other, instead of judging each other, I think we would be in a better world. And most certainly Hashem has proven to us that that is the better situation to be in in order for us to exist. 
That's absolutely true. And I think online bullying is so much easier for people. Of course it is, because you don't have to. You don't face have to be face to face with somebody. You don't even have to use your first name. You don't have to do anything. You just say what you could spew what you want, and you could be faceless. It's a coward, actually. It's very cowardice. It's not easy. It's just being lazy and the coward because you couldn't say it face to face. I do have an interesting question, and there are downsides to the fashion industry in terms of the temptation, and some people deal with shopping addiction. And needing that latest Jimmy Choo shoes or the new Louis Vuitton handbag. Yes. So- it's a seductive atmosphere. As in, if somebody who's a foodaholic or bulimic or anorexic or a closet eater is to going food shopping. I think every arena in life, there's an addiction that's connected to it. You know, anything overdoing it is an addiction. Um, and I understand there's a, a great allure to the latest bag and the latest and the latest and the latest. And I can't say to you, in all honesty, that I haven't fallen victim to that time and time and time again. And I can't even tell you that age hasn't given me the wisdom of going, what the hell are you doing? I mean, that bag is not going to make you or not going to break you. And if you have a Birkin or don't have a Birkin, that doesn't mean that you're not a substantial human being. But I know that if you dive into this fashion industry, that could determine who you are and who you aren't. But that's where the house of faith and fashion comes in. That's where that balancing the surfboard between Ruchnius and Gashmius comes in. You have to learn balance. As in anything in life, it's the hardest thing to do. And would you say this is particularly more of an issue or more of a topic in the from Orthodox community? I feel like the way we dress is such an integral part. And people have become obsessed. The prices in the Jewish stores. Could you talk more about where do you think this is coming from? I just feel like, especially in communities that are low income, clothing and dressing well is extremely highly prioritized in the community. I think it's a study in social behavior, like a focus group for something that's like all about social and social status and social, you know, social activity. I don't necessarily know that it's all about fashion. I think that has to do with probably some sort of climbing up the social ladder thing. Um, And I think that fashion happens to be the way of people doing it. I don't necessarily know if that has to do with being from or not. That might have to do with a self-esteem issue or a social issue within their community that they feel that they have to appear a certain way because maybe that's where they'll marry somebody better or they'll have a better life or they'll appear to have a better life or it's a camouflage to something that's flawed within them or within their own family. I don't really know. But the fashion is definitely used to camouflage a lot of things as it has from the very beginning. You know, it camouflaged the first shame of the world. So I see that it probably continues to do so. And as a Rebbitzin, you have dealt with talking to them about fashion, how that could be spiritual. A lot of women come to me for much bigger issues than fashion, in which I deal with women. A lot of them come to me as, you know, in the beginnings of a very, very bad divorce, and I help them with everything I can to get them through it. And I find that, you know, of course, I'm working more with repairing their amuna more than repairing their wardrobe. I, I can tell you that when they feel better about themselves, when we go shopping, that it's a great experience because they have a better 
look about themselves. But a tzibrachana neshama, you know, is not going to be camouflaged by a great outfit. It's just never going to happen because it's just you're fooling yourself. When it comes to really helping people, I don't really help them with their wardrobe. That's certainly not the most important thing. Is it a byproduct to look really good and, and look like you have your, your crap together? Yes, it does. But really, you have to work on the inside first. And that's really more the part that I concentrate. The byproduct is, wow, aren't you going to look great now that you feel better inside and you look better and you're healthier and, you're, and, and you have a better mental attitude and you have more amuna, so you're going to have a better appearance on the outside. I'm not really interested in camouflaging a broken soul with a couture outfit. <laughs> um, I, that was totally not the question I asked, but I love oh, your I'm answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was what just asking, like, know, what are you maybe doing? Maybe I don't understand the question. The social pressures and the, the communities that created all this peer pressure into clothing. I was just asking if you're doing anything to to take that away and say it needs to be your fashion or your expression it's not about matching what other people look like or dressing your kids in certain brands that you need to find your individual yeah yes the answer is i'm you know i i've never really followed anybody's particular idea of the way they should dress i think i said it in my quote on that i have on instagram is that i'm still the base yakov girl in red cowboy boots which was not the norm to dress. That idea of dressing to conform to whatever, you know, neighborhood or, you know, group that you're in, that's been around for a very, very long time. It's really, it's nothing new. It's just more out there. It's more, there's more available. The world is much bigger. So everything is more accessible. So, you know, to get your European clothes, it's not a big deal as it was like, you know, in the 1960s. I think that if people would take away the judgmental part of their practices, that would follow suit by not feeling that you have to look and be a certain way and actually dress exactly the way these other people dress. That I think that would be taken away. The problem is there's judgment involved with that particular attire that you're trying to adhere to. That's the bad point too. It's not just what you're wearing, you're judged by what you're wearing. And that's what I've tried to take away is, we call J-women the judgment-free zone. You really nailed it on the head. <laughs> oh, thank God. At least I answered the question. I understood. No, I wanted to hear that. And fashion is a very seductive community and force as much as it is connected to our spirituality. And a lot of it is Torah. There's so much temptation and judgment that it includes as well. And it brings into our community. So, right. Double-edged sword. Listen, but everything is a duality. That's why we have a Yetzirah and a Yetzirah. We have to learn how to balance those things. That's our job. Are there any parting words or messages you'd like to share with the audience? I'd like to encourage is read the article of the the House of Faith and Fashion in Queen's Jewish Link. And I really want to get it into other publications because I think it's very important. I plan on publishing it at the end of the year when I have my 52 articles and watch just watch me because I'm, uh, I'm always, I'm always going to come up with something as far as um, making, you know, a statement for the betterment of Jewish women. Honestly, that's my overall objective because right now I'm, I'm also a work in progress, you know, and I've been judged 
and I've been put in categories that I shouldn't be put in. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not in any category. I'm, I'm like that girl in the lunchroom hall that doesn't want to be with any clique and doesn't want to sit with anybody, but I go around and saying hello to every single table. I love that's how me. you put that. Yeah. That's and me. I feel like there are many women out there who identify with you and girls out there who identify right. with you. And it's, right. it's beautiful that you are such a powerful and influential woman with such strong Torah values and you're out there for women to see that yes you can do that and yes you can believe mm-hmm. and do and have faith. So I'm I'm also a work in progress. If all of my experience could help one person, then I've done my job. Wow, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for this chat. You Thank bring, you. you shine a light, you bring so much knowledge and you take whatever sparkling and glittery and you say this could be Kadosh. Yeah, be exactly. You know, exactly. Like my step-grandchildren now call me fairy godmother because <laughs> I'm just put, put a little fairy dust on it. It all looks good. So exactly. we wish you Hatzlacha in every endeavor you do. I'm you too. You too, bird. You too. Thank you. And if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to write a review and subscribe and tell your friends to check us out as well. See you next time.